1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. So let's start at the beginning. We are told we hear that Christianity, the Bible in particular, demeans women and oppresses them. Let's start and see with what the text says from the beginning. In, In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. What does that mean? It means that men and women are equally created in the image and likeness of God.
2: Senior Pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us today as we hear Part 1 of Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Good Wife.
1: Let me just pray for us right now. Father, as we prepare to get into this message and continue our series on family matters, Lord, you know that we've talked about marriage for a few weeks, we've talked about husbands for a few weeks, and now we're going to talk about wives for a few weeks, Lord. Help us, Father, to look into your word and not to be conformed to the culture, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can know, show, demonstrate, and prove what your perfect and excellent will is Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is it takes a good wife to make a good marriage. The the subtitle is Women Have It Rough. And as our first slide indicates, women have it rough. Women have it rough. In fact, women have always had it rough from the garden until now. There's never been an era or epoch in history where women haven't had it rough. And they will continue to have it rough, sad to say, until Jesus returns, because this world is hard on women. How rough? Well, let's get started. Let's start in Genesis 3.12. Man threw women under the bus for the first time <laughs> in the Garden of Eden after the fall. Do you know? Adam failed to lead his wife. Sure, his wife believed the lie. His wife sinned against God. And rather than take her by the hand and take her to God and say, we've got a problem here, he joined her in her sin, and they tried to hide from God. And then when he got caught failing to husband, failing to shepherd, failing to love her sacrificially, as Christ would love the church, failing to live with her in an understanding way, he said, well, it ain't my fault. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. You know, I'm reminded that religion in general, I don't mean Christianity, I mean religion, has exploited and oppressed women for centuries, for millennia. War religions have exploited women in different ways and oppressed them in different ways. And here's two ways, starting one uh, with the Devatsi girls in India. There are 250,000 girls right now involved in sex slavery in Hindu temples throughout all of India. One province alone has 70,000 girls. And what happens is, as the parents sell them to the temples, they are married to the gods, and they function as temple prostitutes. And when they get old and worn out, they get kicked out. That's religion for you. When you think about it, we, a lot of us thought back probably to Amy Carmichael in the 19th century rescuing girls from these temples, and we thought it was over. I'm sorry to say it's alive and well, and there's numerous websites you can go to to read about this, but this is war religion, Hinduism. Islam is no better, and the Quran under Sharia law if there's a court case and this is in the Quran 2 uh, verse 282 and call to witness from among your men two witnesses That makes sense and if two men cannot be found then one man and two women Now why is that it's because in Islam women are not created in the image and likeness of God they're something less and even in the most simple court case a civil case it takes the testimony of two women to be equal to or less than the testimony of one man. So if you only have one man, you've got to find two women. And we won't even talk about genital mutilation or the fact that if you were to take a short-term mission trip to an uh, Islamic country, you would be told by your briefing team, if you walk down the street and see a man beating his wife, just keep walking. That's world religion. And all the semantic and logical gymnastics get around verses like this in the Koran don't take away from the fact that verses like this are there. But you know what? Women have had it rough all around. Even early European culture. We'll start with Rome. Here's a letter uh, to, from a Roman soldier to his wife. Hilarion, he's not hilarious, Hilarion to Alice, his sister, heart, heartiest greetings to my dear Beris and Apollyarion, Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. He's writing from Alexandria, Egypt. Do not worry if all the others return and I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech of you to take care of the little child. As soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. Seems like a thoughtful guy. If good luck to you, you bear offspring. If it is a male, let it live. If it is female, expose it. You told Aphroditeus, do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you therefore not to worry which is written in the 29th year of Caesar. This doting dad says, now if, if, you, if you bear me a son, great, take care of it. If you bear a daughter, leave her outdoors and let her die of exposure. You know I love you. Women have it rough. They've always had it rough. And then enlightened secular thought and reproductive rights. Today in uh, India and China, there are 200 million missing little girls. Where are they? They are victims of, of sex selection, abortion, and infanticide. And let me explain. The abortion, basically, you don't want a girl, you don't have to have a girl. You have the right to choose, and they do. 200 million missing. In fact, in China, under the one uh, child, one parent uh, population control order, the grandmothers used to drown or suffocate the little girls after they were born. This is enlightened secular society. In fact, in these two countries, there are 25% more male births than female births. What about our culture? Certainly, in enlightened Western culture, we have a higher view of women. Let's look to some of the female cultural icons. There you've got Madonna, dressing like a 16-year-old floozy, and she's my age. And she shows it, you know. And this is who the young girls are being made to look up at. Then you have Miley Cyrus, uh, used to be called Hannah Montana and these pictures have to be cropped because you wouldn't believe what they look like and this is who the little girls look up to today this is who these are empowered women empowered women and you have Lady Gaga and I don't know what she's doing there but it ain't good these are the role models these are role models women have it rough then there are the male cultural icons Harvey Weinstein 103 Academy Award nomination a pillar in political activism serial rapist. Speaking of serial rapists, then we have Hugh Hefner, who made pornography seem almost normal, and who perverted the ideas of sexual relations between men and women. And we are still suffering from his his ideas today. We're not suffering like he is right now, but we're suffering. And then let's talk about little girl magazines. Speaking of pornography, we have Teen Vogue here, you know, here's the rebellious, the outspoken, empowering magazine that you need to read right now. And this magazine gives little girls lessons on anal sex and sodomy and why it's cool. That's why women have it rough. The culture is going to hell in a handbasket. And all the cultural icons and dirty old men, male and female, are, are, are objectifying women, making them just sex objects. And many of the women in our culture are buying it and subjecting themselves to this kind of humiliation and degradation. And speaking of dirty old men, let's not forget, the next slide, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Clinton, and Bill Cosby, serial abusers, but yet lifted up in the culture, honored and respected. And all three of them should probably be in prison today. But they won't be, because they're powerful men. And that's why women have it rough. And I don't want you to think it's just on this big giant scale like this. You know, then you have some of the more subtle offenders, what we call garden variety knotheads." People like me, husbands who fail on the job, husbands who sometimes love to fail their wives as Christ loved the church, and they make it very difficult for wives. Women have it rough. Women have it very, very rough. You can take my picture down, thank you. No, just. <laughs> Women have it, have it very rough, very rough indeed. And why am I telling you this? Because I'm telling you this because I want to set the table for today's discussion. We are about to continue our series of talks on marriage matters. And we're going to be talking about that it takes a good wife to make a good marriage. But I think we need to acknowledge that it's hard to be a good wife in this culture. It's hard to be a woman in this culture. And to make it even harder to be a woman in this culture, we have all these pseudo-cultural objections to the Christian worldview. We hear things like, Christianity oppresses women. Christianity uh, uh, demeans women. Christianity uh, robs women of their identity. And there have certainly been abuses. There's what we used to call in the South bubba theology, redneck theology. And by the way, it's just not... It's everywhere, like the, like, like the flu. Where there are, people take verses out of context and make them say what they want them to say, just like our culture does today about Christianity. But what I want to do is I want to address these cultural objections. So we're going to be covering a lot of territory. The verses will be up on the screen. And in the process, we're going to take you from Genesis through uh, chapter 1 through Ephesians chapter 6 today. So let's start at the beginning. We are told, we hear, that Christianity, the Bible in particular, demeans women and oppresses them. Well, let's start and see with what the text says from the beginning. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27... God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. What does that mean? It means that men and women are equally created in the image and likeness of God. That's what the Bible says. That's a lot different from the Quran, where you have to have two women to make one man. Genesis 5.2, male and female he created them and blessed them and named them man for they, when they were created. Now it says man there. <clears throat> The word there is ha'adam, which means from the ground or from the dust. But the point is, men and women, in the view of God, in the Old Testament, are of the same nature and essence. This is the primary, original understanding of personhood, before and after the fall. And that's why Adam sings in the first love song in the Bible. I know some people want to say it's the first rap song, but it's not. You know, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And this is far different than our traditional culture. Some of us are old enough to realize, to remember the old rhyme, where do little boys and little girls, what are they made of? What are little boys made of? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails, and what are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and all that, all things nice. But let's not confuse our traditions, quaint as they might have been, with what the Bible says. And the Bible takes an entirely different view of women. In, in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, we read this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, ne- there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now people try to bend that verse to say a whole bunch of other things too. But what we're t- this verse is talking about is that men and women are equally precious in the sight of God for salvation. Now people a lot of times try to create a false dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Jesus is the same in both testaments. And the word of God and its view of women is the same in both testaments. In Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, we read this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants to your neck. And and 620, Proverbs 620 says this. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. They're listing them side by side. The book of Exodus, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, Ephesians 6, Honor your father, but not your mother. No, it doesn't say that. It says, Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Jesus quotes that passage in Matthew in Mark 7, 9 through 10. And then in the pastoral epistles, you know, people try to take First Timothy and disqualify it because what it says about the roles of men and women in the church. And they try to, you know, claim, well, you know, this is... This may not be inspired, but you know it is. And in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul is writing to his aide-de-camp, to his protege, and he's saying, Look, you treat women, treat everybody well. But treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. How different that is from the Roman centurion. If it's a boy, let it live. If it's a female, expose it. Then, of course, we come to the commands for husbands that we've talked about for the last two weeks in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives as your own bodies. And then you come to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. As the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, some translations say, joint heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's talking to men and women in marriage here. Now, I notice in this section, there's a lot of people who like to get bent out of shape about the weaker vessel terminology, but they forget the context in which Peter is writing. He's writing in Greco-Roman culture, you know. If it's a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, expose it. And he's writing at a time when there was a might makes right mindset in the culture. Men had, were legally stronger, physically stronger. And he's saying, look, live with your wives according to knowledge. We already explained all that last week, right? Showing her honor. timao is the, it's a verb. Honoring her as a fellow heir, as a joint heir in the blessings of God. And then there's a little bit of a threat there so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now we can take comments out of context all day long and try to exploit them. It's what our culture does. We take turns yelling at each other. But the bottom line here is, is that the Bible, the Bible is countercultural, And the word of God, which has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence, treats men and women in the same way. They are equally precious, equally created in the image and likeness of God, equally valuable to Jesus Christ for salvation. And they have different roles and goals to play in life, in marriage, and in the church. From Genesis through Exodus, the Proverbs, the pastoral epistles, Galatians, the Gospels, 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy. In reality, the record shows that God's word does not abuse or oppress women. But we do need to acknowledge that women have it rough. God has called them to a very complicated and complex role in society, in marriage, in the church, in the world. He's called them to great things and he provides a better road for women than our culture does, than all the world religions do put together, than all the cultural icons and iconesses, if there's such a word. He calls them to be part of his kingdom work as joint heirs in the graces of life with their husbands, changing the world one soul at a time, beginning with marriage, beginning in their own home and radiating outward into the world that surrounds them And so what we want to do is head over to Ephesians now you may have noticed that last week when I preached Ephesians 5 25 to 33 I didn't give you a lot of background on Ephesians right we just kinda dove in today I want to to pull back and we're gonna do a helicopter flyover from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 6 10 and 11 kinda like we did with John 6 that time and what I want to do is I want want you to follow the discourse of Ephesians, because Ephesians is about two things. Ephesians is about worship and warfare. And a lot of times, just like we did in John 6, we pointed out that we take three or four verses and preach on them, but we miss the whole discourse. And John 6 was all about Jesus' message to the world then and there and here and now, and it's not what they wanted to hear. And Ephesians is about worship and warfare. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the principles of the Christian faith, who God is, how God is, what he's done, what we were, what he's made us into, and what our hope is in him, call that theology. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is about worship and warfare, how to live out what God's word says. In chapter 1, we sense the larger issue beginning with worship. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have every, as believers, every spiritual blessing that we ever need in our salvation. If no other prayer was answered again besides the prayer for forgiveness and salvation, we would be blessed with every spiritual blessing. Then we go into Ephesians chapter 2 and we we remember what we were before Christ. And we're reminded of the matchless grace and glory of God in our salvation. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And you see this flow of thought developing. Who God is, what he's done, how we should respond to him. And you move into Ephesians chapter 3, and there's a a doxology there, which I won't read through. It's almost like a toast in secular terms, where he just says, he just praises God for all that God has done. Then you move into chapter 4, and we have this starting idea about what it means to worship God in our lives every day, day in and day out. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live out your faith, that's what he says. In light of the calling of God upon your life, he tells us how to approach life, how to live a life of worship. And he takes us deeper into this life of worship and sacrifice in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, in light of all that's come before, when you see therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore? Therefore. Therefore, in light of all this, in light of the calling on us, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk, and that word walk means live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Live lives of worship and sacrifice. Remember who you represent and what he did for you. And in light of all that, imitate his example. And then the theme continues in Ephesians five, fifteen to 17. Look carefully then how you walk. Examine carefully your life. Think about how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish understand what the will of the Lord is and then he tells them to really examine their focus and their priorities and what they should be he tells them then and there and all of us here and now in Ephesians 5 18 we read this verse that everybody takes out of context and says drinking is a sin some drinking is but what this verse is about is not about drinking okay Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that is dissipation, that is wastefulness. But instead, be filled, the word there is plurao, in the Greek which means be satisfied, be satisfied with the Spirit, be satisfied with the themes of God. And then you move into Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek really says it this way, submitting to others out of reverence for christ so he's saying remember who you are remember what you were and be this way walk carefully live a life thoughtfully intentionally living out your faith imitate christ's sacrifice
2: pastor keith crosby On this special edition of the Grace to Live
1: radio broadcast, hello everyone, and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID nineteen crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry, but it is a listener-supported ministry, and. And as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church. And you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. If you have questions about
2: today's show, Or, if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, And, of course, you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.
0: Trying.